0: Welcome back to episode 9 of the podcast and this week is another solo Q&A session I've had a ton of questions from you guys and this week I've chosen two that I think are quite interesting and subjects that we've not really covered on the podcast before so I thought I'd dive deeper into subjects like the vegan and vegetarian diet thyroid health and also finding the root cause of your hair loss I had a ton of messages from the first Q&A that I did from students saying that it's helping you with your revision and also people who are struggling with similar conditions and they really appreciated the information that I provided. So I'm going to read to you the first email. This one is from a lady called Karen who's 32. She writes, Hi Vivian, I've been having digestive issues for the past 10 years. I have an IBS diagnosis from my doctor and was given medication but it doesn't really help. My main issues are bloating, cramps, acid reflux and diarrhoea but I also have trouble with my thyroid and skin rashes sometimes. I feel like my symptoms are getting worse over the past few years, maybe due to stress, but I cannot pinpoint anything in particular that makes my symptoms worse, possibly white bread. I've been a vegetarian since I was 18, but I've been adding in more vegan meals recently to see if that helps my gut. But to be honest, I haven't noticed a massive difference. For breakfast, I usually have something like Weetabix with soy milk and a banana, For lunch I have a veggie box from Pret with an apple and a handful of mixed nuts. Dinner is spelt pasta with tomatoes, tofu and broccoli. And then she also writes that she has a glass of wine every night but more on the weekends. For exercise she's just currently participating in one yoga class a week and her question is she just wants to know which direction to take next because she's quite overwhelmed and she doesn't know the best place to start. So Karen I want to start off with your gut health because I think that's where everything should start. All disease begins in the gut and the IBS diagnosis that you was given, you've probably heard me say before, IBS isn't really a diagnosis, it's kind of a wastebasket term that's given when people have been ruled out to having things like bowel cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, serious parasites but when doctors don't have any other answers or are not willing to investigate further then you're just given a label like this and obviously a medication which aren't really effective diet has a massive impact on our gut health but it's not the only thing definitely stress can play a massive role as you've probably realised yourself I'm not sure what these stressful experiences were that you've been going under the last few years but if it's work stress or just relationship stress and that could be playing a role in your symptoms as well My main recommendation would to be gluten and dairy free if possible and it's just worth doing a 30-day elimination trial just to see if that improves things for you because I feel like these two foods are the biggest triggers and inflammatory sensitivities that people with digestive issues can have. The majority of the population are actually some degree gluten sensitive and some degree dairy sensitive and although you may not be experiencing immediate symptoms after consuming those things that doesn't mean that you don't have a sensitivity a lot of food intolerances can be delayed so that means that you may only experience symptoms say four, five, six days after consuming the food and that's what makes it so hard to pinpoint sometimes which foods you're reacting to so i like to recommend you keep a food diary or a food journal and also write down your digestive symptoms, your bowel movements, your mood and any other things you think are relevant in terms of your lifestyle and then you can start to pinpoint and track when your symptoms are worse and when they're better because you can go down the route of food intolerance testing and paying hundreds of pounds to see which foods come back that you're reacting to but in my opinion an elimination diet is the best way to go about things because there's no better feedback and accuracy than the one from your body. I recommend reading the work of Dr Alessio Fasano and this could be quite sciencey but just as an overview he believes that everyone is gluten sensitive to some degree and when we all consume gluten, he's he's done studies and trials on this, everyone experiences an increase in intestinal permeability which is also known as leaky gut but the severity to which this happens and the time it takes for it to get back to normal is different for everyone. Obviously there's full blown celiac disease which is an autoimmune response to gluten but there is non-celiac gluten sensitivity that affects a lot more people in the population than you may think. And when I say to go gluten-free that doesn't mean to swap your bread and your pasta and your cereal to just gluten-free alternatives because these are often filled with junk and just worse ingredients than the actual original products. Instead focusing on naturally gluten-free foods or foods that have never had gluten in the first place and are therefore free of artificial preservatives and fillers you want to be focusing on things like meat, fish, eggs, nuts, seeds, plants, vegetables, fruits and when you're staying away from packaged foods you're less likely to be exposed to gluten and dairy but again if you are purchasing packaged foods or meals out then definitely check the ingredients list and these common allergens, gluten and dairy should be listed in bold. The fact that you're vegetarian is quite important in this case because as you probably know I'm not a fan of vegetarian or vegan diets and I think your attempts to try and move to a vegan diet isn't going to be that beneficial in my opinion. The most common reason why people are transitioning to a vegan diet apart from the ethical kind of standpoint is the fact that they're feeling better when they move to a vegan diet and a lot of the time that's because they're eating more fiber they're cutting out maybe dairy products that they're sensitive to they're eating more plants they're eating less junk food they're being more conscious about their health and this is often the reason why they're experiencing benefits and they feel amazing but a lot of them only experience these symptoms short term whether that's for a few months and in some cases a few years but I feel like over the next couple of years there's going to be a lot more people suffering with their health issues because of a vegan diet if I'm honest. I like to think of these diets similar to the way that I do with the ketogenic diet in the fact that they're therapeutic, meaning they should only be performed for a short period of time as kind of a medical intervention or for a specific reason. So in terms of the ketogenic diet that's beneficial for people with severe insulin resistance or brain brain traumas, neurological disorders and also certain types of cancer and similarly with vegetarian or vegan diets they can be quite depleting and this can be beneficial in certain conditions where people have growths or tumours or certain types of cancer and heart disease they've been shown to be beneficial but for the average person consuming this day in and day out and not consuming any foods that kind of build you up can be quite draining and depleting and lead to a host of problems developing later down the line especially if you're dealing with gut problems I don't believe that the vegetarian and vegan diets are suitable and that's because they are so fibre rich and they contain a lot of hard to digest proteins and many anti-nutrients meaning that they prevent you from absorbing some of the nutrients like minerals and zinc, magnesium that are in the food so when people think that they're eating a tonne of nutrient-dense foods from vegetarian or vegan sources, oftentimes they are bound up to things like phytates and lectins and that doesn't allow your body to absorb them like it would from meat, fish or animal products IBS symptoms can also be due to low digestive enzyme production and that can be exacerbated by a vegetarian or vegan diet because you need certain amino acids and animal proteins and minerals from those foods to create HCL, so hydrochloric acid and we need a strong fire in the stomach in order to break down our proteins to absorb some of the nutrients so it's kind of a vicious cycle meaning that you need stomach acid to digest and absorb the nutrients to create stomach acid if that makes sense and your body is really smart and when you don't use and produce stomach acid all of the time to digest some animal flesh then your body stops creating it because it's not going to put energy into creating a lot of digestive enzymes because it is an energy intensive process. Instead it's going to shuttle that resources and that energy into something else in the body and therefore your HCL and your digestive enzyme production is hindered. There's a saying if you don't use it you lose it and that's definitely true when it comes to stomach acid and if you listen to a previous episode with Sarah K. Hoffman We've talked all about the importance of stomach acid, how it helps us with our hormones and our digestive symptoms and the prevention of digestive bacterial overgrowth like SIBO and parasitic infections. HCL doesn't just help us digest and absorb our food, it's also antimicrobial and it helps us sterilise our food before we consume it. So It's kind of an immune system mechanism in the fact that it helps us protect against parasites, pathogens and other nasty toxins. The majority of people with an IBS diagnosis, so IBS, just as an overview, irritable bowel syndrome, it's just a collection of symptoms including diarrhoea, constipation, gas, cramping, bloating, those types of things. And the majority of the people with this label actually have an underlying imbalance. And the most common ones I see are SIBO, which is small intestine bacterial overgrowth, and also certain parasites, particularly blastocystis hominis there are so many studies linking the symptoms of IBS to these two conditions but that doesn't mean to rule out other parasites or yeast, candida, those types of things but sadly if you've got any of these conditions you can't treat them with diet alone a lot of the time and that's because you need some sort of antimicrobial or some herbal supplements, conventional antibiotics in order to eliminate the infections but then you can definitely maintain with diet and supplements to keep symptoms at bay. You may have run a stool test before with your GP or a gastroenterologist that you visited. But the different markers they look for are just checking for severe parasites like Giardia, Cryptosporidium, that are quite nasty and are foodborne or waterborne infections. Some of the other more common parasites and bacteria they're just not tested at all, and instead we're just given medication to kind of control or manage the symptoms but if long term we never address any of these infections you can just imagine what's going on inside of our gut just chronic low-grade infections can create a ton of inflammation immune system problems it can lead to leaky gut and just a whole range of hormone problems skin problems and also thyroid problems too stress management needs to be a priority in this case because stress doesn't just affect the gut health it affects the thyroid so in terms of gut health stress mobilizes your energy levels and your blood flow away from your gut where you need to digest and absorb your food and it sends it to the extremities to put us in that state of fight or flight but if this happens if this happens continually and every single day maybe multiple times a day this is happening then that's just going to lead to a lot of digestive malabsorption, bloating, gas and bacterial overgrowths. We're only designed as humans to be in acute stress, like being chased by an animal, almost getting hit by a car, those types of stressors, not the chronic low-grade worries and financial problems and negative thought patterns. Our body just isn't set up for that. I truly believe that stress and cortisol dysregulation is one of the leading if not the leading cause of all of the chronic health conditions that we're seeing these days and that isn't to mean that diet and other things aren't important, they're also causative factors but the biggest that throws everything off in the system is stress. The way that stress impacts the thyroid is that it directly impacts the production of thyroid hormone but also the conversion from inactive T4 to the, to the active T3 hormone which has a receptor on every single cell of the body and that's how important thyroid hormone is. Digestive issues like IBS and thyroid issues do go hand in hand because if you're not digesting and absorbing nutrients then you can't actually create your thyroid hormone and if you've got a ton of inflammation or stress because of the chronic gut infections then your thyroid's going to be affected too. Because your brain tries to prioritize life or death and the safety of you rather than if your thyroid's turned down a little bit and you're feeling more sluggish, tired, maybe you're more prone to constipation. That's another link with the thyroid. It kind of it's the thermostat of the body. So when you said that you've got thyroid issues, I'm not sure whether you mean that you've got hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism. The the signs and symptoms of that are like quite the opposite. So hypo would be everything's kind of slowing down in your body your bowels are more sluggish, your brain functions more sluggish, you're tired, sleepy, you can't recover from exercise whereas the hyperthyroid, maybe you have a ton of energy, you're losing weight, you've got diarrhea, you've got palpitations and anxiety so it would be helpful to know which kind of spectrum you're on but they do have kind of similar treatment options in terms of a natural approach in terms of your diet I did notice some exposure to gluten so I definitely want you to consider removing that but also some intake of soy which can be helpful for certain situations and maybe menopausal women but whenever you're dealing with thyroid issues I always recommend avoiding soy if possible soy has actually been shown to affect the synthesis and transport of thyroid hormone in the body fermented soy products like miso and tempeh are actually better because they've been fermented they've been processed a little bit to not contain as many anti-nutrients as conventional raw soy so I would recommend moving away from the soy milk, soy yoghurt, soy protein and also tofu and swap more to other sources of vegan or vegetarian proteins if possible like quinoa, beans, lentils, tempeh I've mentioned and eggs too as i already mentioned these types of foods can be hard to digest when you're dealing with digestive issues and that's why a lot of people have great success with kind of paleo diets grain-free diets autoimmune paleo and ketogenic diets when they've got severe gut issues because they don't contain a lot of these complex starchy carbs that can be really difficult to digest and absorb i know it may be difficult to consider but I recommend having a think about why you're vegan is it due to ethical reasons because if it is there are still ways that you can support the ethical consumption of animals through organic farms and supporting local farmers if you're willing to improve your health by maybe trying to incorporate some animal protein into your diet and see how you get on then that would be the best option in my opinion but then again I completely understand if that's not possible for you for whatever reason you're just not open to doing that but I've seen so many people have detrimental health effects from a long-term vegan or vegetarian diet that it's just something I have to point out because there are so many different nutrient deficiencies associated with a vegetarian or vegan diet which I'll list here iron, B12, vitamin A, zinc, certain amino acids and iodine and because our soil's depleted as it is then that means that you're really struggling to get certain nutrients from your diet Vegetarian diets are a bit better in the fact that they offer amino acids and some of these nutrients from eggs and a few animal products like dairy, but obviously I mentioned not really relying on dairy because of the potential food intolerance that you may be experiencing. In the meantime, you kind of have a think about that and consider if you're willing to incorporate some organic meat every couple of days or so just to see how you get on and provide your gut a little bit of a rest In the meantime, you can try soaking or sprouting your beans, legumes and grains, nuts and seeds just to make them more tolerated and better digested. Maybe consider trying a digestive enzyme or supplementing with digestive bitters to try and get your digestive system functioning a little bit better, producing some enzymes from your liver and your gallbladder. And when I say to include some animal protein, that doesn't mean consuming bacon and bone broth and organ meats every single day I personally probably eat more vegetables and plants than a vegan or vegetarian but I still consume animal protein as a condiment to my meal so it's not the star of the show, it's... vegetables are the first priority and then on the side of the plate is a small portion of fish, meat or eggs just to provide my body with crucial nutrients that I can't get otherwise in my diet I've been getting more and more clients recently, usually younger girls that are dealing with health problems and I can't say that they're completely connected to the diets that they're on a lot of them are vegan but it's not that vegan diets are the cause of the problems they're just the contributing factors so if you're already dealing with hormone imbalances you're predisposed to something like PCOS or you've got a gut infection then a vegan diet is just going to make things worse if you're already depleted and maybe a bit malnourished for whatever reason then a vegan or vegetarian diet is not going to help and there is a big difference between a conventional vegan or vegetarian diet and a well-planned, well-organised and executed diet and that's similar to paleo, keto, you can kind of put that on everything. These types of diets can require a lot of organisation and planning and careful execution to make sure that you're getting the right combinations of amino acids maybe try tracking your food for a few days using MyFitnessPal to see how many nutrients that you're getting in your diet or if there's anything in particular that you're lacking because you may need to supplement. And just the last point with this, a lot of the time people's blood work is pretty fine for the short term so they go and check their B12 levels, the iron levels and ferritin and they're told that they're fine by their doctors but a lot of these deficiencies and the, the results of the deficiencies can only show up maybe years down the line and oftentimes especially when it comes to b12 then it can be too late because of the potential nerve damage that's done so karen i hope that's been helpful for you my top recommendations would be to go gluten and dairy free to get some more testing and lab evaluation if possible to measure things like your levels of good and bad bacteria through a, a stool test and this isn't usually done by your conventional GPs so it may require you working with a practitioner to get access to functional lab tests. Make your diet more gut friendly by soaking, sprouting and fermenting certain grains and legumes. Paying attention to your digestive enzyme function and nutrient, potential nutrient deficiencies that you may be dealing with and also manage your stress. So mindful eating is going to be a biggie for you Make sure that you're eating when you're sat down, you're in a relaxed state, you're not stressed, angry or upset. You take deep breaths before you eat to really acknowledge that you're sitting down ready to consume that meal. You're not scrolling on Instagram or watching the news because usually some of these most simple things are the things that are most impactful and have the biggest benefit for us remember that your gut doesn't have teeth so the more work you do in your mouth by masticating and chewing your food until it's liquid consistency that's going to take a lot of pressure off your gut and prevent large chunks or particles of food from being undigested and becoming potential food for bacteria okay so second question of the day is from jenna jenna writes hi vivian thank you if you choose this question to answer on the podcast I'm 22 and I'm struggling to find the root cause of my hair loss. I listened to your interview on another podcast but I'm still unsure about what is causing my hair loss. My doctor is not really open to running some of the tests that I asked for including ferritin and thyroid hormone like you mentioned to test. Is there a way to investigate and treat the root cause without having any lab tests? It's really affecting my mental health and self-esteem and I just want it to stop shedding. Breakfast she's having a really quite good diet so eggs with avocado on gluten-free toast lunch is chicken soup with made with veg and bone broth dinner is salmon sweet potatoes broccoli and olive oil and her workout she's stopped completely for the time being because she's not sure if that's stressing her body a little bit too much but prior to this she's always been quite an intense exerciser doing things like HIIT, Boot bootcamp and spin class supplement wise she's taking cod liver oil a Her skin and nails formula and a b complex and she's on yasmin which is an oral contraceptive pill she knows that it's not great for her but she's actually scared of coming off because she's scared that her hair will get worse and she's been on this pill for three years so Jen I'm not quite sure you didn't really mention when your hair loss started if it's more of a recent thing then i'd be looking what's changed in your lifestyle is there any extra stress with work have you changed your diet any have you been through a stressful period has anything changed in your lifestyle have you changed the environment all of these things are really important but if your hair loss started like two to three years ago then it could definitely be linked to the pill that you're on and although yasmin isn't an androgenic pill as such compared to other ones that can have a higher androgenic index i noticed when i was on the yasmin pill myself that i did go through a period of hair shedding for the first year or so when i was on it and then my hair loss stopped shedding but it didn't actually grow back so it just seemed like it was quite thin compared what to what it was but just a side note for any of you who are on the pill currently and you're experiencing hair loss it could be that your pill is androgenic in nature meaning that it's providing more progestins that are more androgenic so kind of male hormone-like some of these hormones to look out for are levin or and norethisterone. the good news is that you can actually start to work on some of these hormone imbalances while you're on the pill but only to a certain point because your hair can still come out once you stop it and that's just the nature of the pill how they work is that they shut down your brain to ovary communication for the whole time that you're on there so when you stop the pill your body has to relearn how to talk and connect with the brain to the ovaries and also produce your hormones again because it's just been running off synthetic hormones for those three years that you're on it and in particular androgens are really suppressed therefore when you stop the pill your adrenal glands and your ovaries have to start to learn how to make them again and they actually pump out a lot more hormones than they usually would just as they start to regulate but that can lead to the hair loss a lot of people deal with acne breakouts, oily skin mood swings and that's usually due to this androgen rebound the pill can actually cause a lot of nutrient deficiencies as well and the nutrients that it depletes are the most important ones for hormone imbalance, fertility and hair loss such as zinc, all your B vitamins, selenium, vitamin C, magnesium, vitamin E and also your good gut bacteria so your microbiome are depleted. I would consider supplementing with just a general high quality multivitamin that contains methylated B vitamins and I know that you're taking a B complex at the moment but if it's one that you've bought say on the health food store shelf or or on your supermarket shelf or even on Amazon then likelihood is that your B vitamin is not high quality enough and contains synthetic B vitamins rather than a methylated version. They are a bit more expensive but they're highly bioavailable and your body recognises more than synthetic vitamins made in a lab. Now it is recommended that you test, not guess, with any health condition but particularly when it comes to hormones and things like your skin, your hair, other things like that but it is frustrating that your doctor's not willing to run some of these labs and sadly that is the case a lot of the time and even if you kind of push for it and really fight your case and explain why you want to run some of these labs and be your own health advocate some of them are just not open to do that and that's really frustrating There are options of testing privately though and obviously it's going to cost you a bit more money but I feel like some of these markers are really valuable in helping you determine what your root cause of hair loss is so that you can put a plan of action together and then hopefully stop that from occurring and regrow your hair in the future. I'll just list some of the lab tests that I like to run in order to help me figure out the root causes of someone's hair loss. These include blood tests like iron, ferritin, which are your iron stores. FSH and LH which are your hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, sex hormone binding globulin, prolactin, a full thyroid panel including reverse hormone and also your thyroid antibodies not just your TSH. I also use the Dutch test quite a lot and that's a really useful test in determining which hormones are going down the wrong pathways if you're overproducing, underproducing certain things and it gives us insight into the impact of stress on your case too, so it shows both stress and sex hormones because both of those could be indicated in her loss. And finally if we're not really getting anywhere with clients and we've investigated the hormones and the nutrient stores and everything seems fine, then I usually go down the, the route of gut testing. And it may seem like I'm obsessed with the gut and I'm always talking about it, but it's true it's everything, it's connected to every system in your body. And the way it connects to hair loss is, again, if there's chronic stress in the digestive tract from bacterial overgrowth or inflammation, you're eating foods that you're sensitive to, maybe you've got undiagnosed celiac disease, then you're not going to be absorbing the nutrients needed to grow your hair and your body's just going to be in such a stressed state that it's not going to prioritise the growth or the healthiness of your hair. If it's focusing on a threat to the system and possible life or death but again I totally understand if you don't have access to some of these lab tests or you just don't have the fees at the minute in order to afford these what I like to recommend is something called timeline therapy so we go back you can do this yourself you can go back and look through your whole health right down from the day you were born to see if you're born vaginally if you were born by c-section if you were given a ton of antibiotics at birth maybe you had some viral infections in your teenage years, did you go through a stressful time in your teens, did your parents divorce, when did your hair loss start and what was happening around that time. I see people commonly focused on the current lifestyle and diet and they're still wondering why they're losing hair but it's similar to our periods and our menstrual cycle in the fact that it's not what's happening now, it was what was happening three months ago, six months ago because your hair goes through different phases and shedding cycles there's actually a type of hair loss called telogen effluvium and that's just hair loss directly caused by stress and what happens is you have a stressful experience like i mentioned a few of them before and then three months later or six months later you experience a lot of hair loss and even though you may be stress-free and living a zen life at that moment in time it's just due to what was happening three months ago so you don't really have control over that but you do have control over what you're doing to impact the next three months of her growth you can also go back and look over previous lab test results if you've ever had something like your thyroid checked or your iron levels if you notice a pattern of them maybe reducing or becoming less optimal then that's a good indication that maybe that could be a contributing factor but again it's not diagnostic is there a family history of thyroid issues maybe diagnosed or undiagnosed and again with conditions like PCOS or high androgen levels did any of your female relatives display any symptoms like hirsutism so facial hair growth, hair loss, infertility problems, acne all of those things could indicate maybe you have a predisposition to some sort of hormone disorder or thyroid issue as well but now I just want to go through the biggest causes of hair loss and provides maybe some of the symptoms or indicating factors and then you can use this information to find out if that's something that you may be dealing with so the first biggest cause I'd see would be stress and again it's not just physical stress, it's not just mental and emotional stress it can be chemical, it can be structural, all of these things need to be investigated so you'd probably remember if you went through a really stressful period of time around when your hair loss started but it could be that you were just over exercising, maybe under eating maybe malnourishing your body a little bit. Were you partying a bit too much? Did you break up with a boyfriend? Did you move house or move across the country? These types of things could be definitely impacting her loss and your nervous system and your adrenal health can really stay impacted for quite a while after this stressful event if you don't do anything about it so I see a lot of people go through something stressful but then their nervous system stays on overdrive for quite a while after so either they're really in that hyperarousal state meaning that they're anxious, they're feeling like they're running on adrenaline or they could go the opposite way they feel like they're crashed and they've got low cortisol and kind of that adrenal fatigue picture. The next thing would be thyroid health and I've kind of touched on that with the previous case study but your thyroid is your master metabolism gland and if for whatever reason it's out of whack maybe it's running too high or running too low then that's going to affect every single cell of your body your hair included so go back and listen to some of the symptoms of hyper and hypothyroidism to see if that's something that you may be dealing with but you may just have subtle symptoms like fatigue and low moods maybe a bit of dry skin and constipation so definitely don't rule it out if you're if you're overweight or if you're not overweight that isn't always the biggest indicating factor The pattern of hair loss you most commonly see with thyroid issues is going to be just a diffuse thinning of the whole scalp, meaning that it's not in patches really, it's not in clumps, it's kind of just your hair's thinning overall and just maybe you can see your scalp a bit more and it's just getting really thin and limp and lifeless. Some people do notice more of a receding in the temple area so that could be a pattern that you see. Thyroid issues can be caused for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them being genetic but that doesn't mean just because you have a family history of thyroid issues that you're going to develop it because there's a thing called epigenetics meaning that we have control over whether our genes express or not and there's a lot that you can do about it stress can directly impact the thyroid health as i covered in the last case study as can autoimmune conditions so the biggest leading causes of thyroid issues are autoimmune in nature hypothyroidism so a low functioning thyroid that would be the condition called Hashimoto's thyroiditis and the other one is hyperthyroidism caused by the autoimmune condition known as Graves disease and the treatment option for an autoimmune version of hypothyroid or hyperthyroid would be a little bit different than the conventional non-immune related it would be a lot of focus on gut health which I'm going to touch on and also your immune system the next type of hair loss I want to cover is relating to your hormones and there's different patterns of hormonal imbalance that I want to cover. The first one being low levels of estrogen and progesterone. Both estrogen and progesterone are really important for the health of your hair. This is why a lot of pregnant women have really luscious thick gorgeous hair when they're pregnant is because they've got high levels of both estrogen and progesterone and remember progesterone is like the yin and estrogens, like the yang hormone we need them to be both in ratio to be fully balanced if you're dealing with low oestrogen or progesterone that should definitely be something to focus on and you may also be experiencing things like amenorrhea some missing periods, light period bleeding, PMS, night sweats, vaginal dryness and joints and skin issues this is more common as you get older, so maybe women in their 40s and 50s could be experiencing this but that's not to rule it out for women of in their 20s or 30s because stress can definitely cause this, Undereating, eating over-exercising and being too low, low of a body weight can definitely impact this as well, as can eating a low-fat diet because remember we need healthy fat to actually create our hormones. The next hormone imbalance that I see really commonly just with the women that I work with is that high testosterone or androgen picture and this is really common with women with PCOS but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have PCOS if you have elevated levels of some of these hormones. The most common pattern of hair loss in this case would be a receding hairline or loss of hair directly behind the hairline so maybe an inch or two back and also the crown of the head so in this kind of male pattern baldness you may also be experiencing oily hair or scalp issues like dandruff because testosterone and androgens are directly related to sebum production and an increase of sebum can definitely lead to oiliness and skin problems too insulin resistance usually goes hand in hand with elevated testosterone issues but not always and insulin resistance can affect hair loss for many reasons you may have seen people with diabetes struggle with hair loss not just on the head but also on the body too and it's because insulin high blood sugar levels really gum up the follicles and don't allow nutrients to be delivered to the scalp that leads to the hair dying and not be able to regrow properly if you feel like you're dealing with insulin resistance you may also be dealing with symptoms like weight issues so you're gaining weight or you're unable to lose weight you may have excessive thirst and urination, blood sugar swings so you feel like you're craving sugar or can't go a long period of time without eating, you're fatigued, you're tired, you've got low moods, maybe you're experiencing things like acne and excess belly fat but if you're not dealing with your weight then that doesn't mean that you haven't got insulin resistance. A lot of lean people can have insulin resistance and they just can't tolerate a lot of carbohydrates or sugars in the diet and when they do consume those things they can experience symptoms like acne, brain fog and massive blood sugar swings whether that's feeling hyperglycemic or hypoglycemic it's interesting that the birth control pill that you were on and a lot of them in general are drivers on causes of insulin resistance so the birth control pill could have made your insulin resistance worse if you already had it or it could be that you've developed some degree of insulin resistance because of being on the pill. The next common cause of her loss would be nutrient deficiency related and I've already mentioned a few of them, the first one being iron which is so important for her loss, it helps with the oxygenation of our blood, our thyroid hormones, if we're deficient for whatever reason then our, our body's just not got the resources and the material needed to actually oxygenate the blood, get blood flow to the scalp, delivery of nutrients and the production of thyroid hormone. If your doctor's tested you for iron, then it's really important that they also test for ferritin because that's the stored version of iron. And a lot of the time I see women's iron levels in the 20s or 30s, which is just really low compared to what we need. For optimal hair growth and prevention of hair shedding, then we want the ferritin levels to be around 70 to 80, um, closer to 100 if possible, but we can't just go supplementing with iron without knowing exactly where we're at because it can just lead to more problems in the gut if we supplement when we don't actually need it. What I do like to recommend though is just consuming iron-rich foods just in your diet anyway, so maybe 2-3 to times a week, have a portion of organ meats if possible, these are absolutely the best way to get your ferritin levels back into optimal ranges. Or maintain them if they're already there they're not going to push your iron levels way too high your body knows how to tolerate the iron from different foods and it's going to manage that a bit better than supplementing with just a load of iron from a capsule form you can also include organic grass-fed red meat like lamb or beef into your diet just several times a week if you aren't already and obviously I didn't see it in your diet diary that you provided but that doesn't mean that you're not consuming it just make sure it's high quality and same with the organ meats always organic but even if you are consuming some of these really high quality organic meats in your diet that doesn't mean that you're necessarily absorbing it and chronically low stomach acid or digestive issues can definitely lead to nutrient deficiencies and hair loss the pill has a massive impact on our gut health it works as a low dose antibiotic meaning that it kills off a lot of the beneficial bacteria whilst allowing more of the pathogenic and negative bacteria to thrive along with yeast. That's why a lot of women on the pill get a lot of yeast problems or UTIs, skin rashes, and it's because the good bacteria and your immune system has been suppressed because of taking the pill. And definitely investigate the health of your, your gut in this case, and it would be helpful to know if you were experiencing any type of digestive symptom, whether that's bloating, constipation, IBS type symptoms but that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have gut health issues just because you're not struggling with symptoms. So once I've kind of ruled out thyroid issues and hormone imbalances, insulin problems and nutrient deficiencies with clients, I often turn to the gut. And a lot of the time there is some sort of dysbiosis in there, meaning an imbalance of good and bad bacteria, maybe some inflammation, low immunity of the gut, and again, these can all definitely correlate with her loss. Finally, I just want to touch on a few other not so common causes but could be a factor in your case these include autoimmune hair loss but you didn't really mention that it was in patchy clumps which this is most commonly presented with and also the role that scalp infections can play but again I would only really investigate this if there were other signs of infection like really itchy skin on the scalp oiliness bleeding and patchy hair loss too. So Jenna I just recommend that you kind of maybe listen back to this, do the timeline therapy that I mentioned, really try and go back to your GP and explain what you're going through. I usually tell my clients to really emphasise the problems that they're having and maybe make them seem a little bit worse than they are and I know that's not great advice but I find like if you really tell them how much it's affecting you, your mental health and how much it would be a relief if they did this for you just to investigate it, some of them are more, much more likely to be on board with testing you, sometimes just to shut you up and get you out of their office but you got to do what you got to do so go back and listen to all the different types of hair loss do the timeline therapy look at your family history and previous blood tests see what was happening three to six months around the time when you first noticed your hair loss maybe it was the pill and maybe you do need to kind of come off that soon but this isn't medical advice you have to work with someone in order to do that safely but there are things that you can do in the time being to make your body more resilient and give it the resources it needs to not react so negatively when it comes off the pill so maybe start on a multivitamin just to cover all bases and eat as nutrient dense as possible with the organ meats and red meats and you could also start incorporating some scalp topical scalp treatments into your protocol just to nourish the hair that's there and also stimulate some regrowth while you kind of make that transition and figure out the root cause because topical things can help but they're not going to solve the root cause of things if it's an internal imbalance a few of my favorite things to recommend are scalp brushing so it's really scary to kind of brush your scalp when you've got hair loss because you think that it's going to make it worse but the blood flow to the scalp is actually beneficial and if some hair does come out then that's hair that's going to fall out anyway so don't be too concerned and similarly with washing your hair a lot of people are only washing it once every week or so because they're scared of what they'll see in the plug hole but just remember that the hair that comes out during the shower that would have come out regardless of if you washed it or not but it's important to always choose non-toxic, organic, cleanest possible ingredients in your shampoos and the hair products that you use try not to style it too much let it air dry don't tie it up with a lot of hair bands and clips don't straighten it too much or wrap it up in towels and really scrub your head with towels because that's not great either One of my favourite scalp treatments that I like to recommend to clients is a mixture of jojoba oil with a couple of drops, maybe three to four drops of rosemary essential oil and you rub that onto your scalp and let that sit for at least 30 minutes, maybe a couple of hours before you wash your hair and that really helps to nourish the hair follicles. Jojoba oil is similar to skin sebum so it's not going to clog your pores and rosemary essential oil is great at Stimulating new hair growth, and I believe it acts as a DHT blocker. So, this potent androgen hormone that can lead to hair loss if your hair loss is hormonal, the rosemary can help to block that action. I hope you found this helpful, Jenna. If you wanted to send in more information, then please let me know if you get any more blood tests, if you have any questions about the different types of hair loss that I mentioned. Or want me to point you in the right direction of a practitioner or if you'd like to work together further then please let me know. Okay guys so that's everything that I have today. I received a ton more questions but I thought that these would be the most suitable for this week. We're definitely going to be diving into more specific topics as we go on because a few of the questions were quite complex and a bit personal to certain situations so I thought I'd leave that maybe for a couple more weeks we're just covering the basics at the moment and just getting the the biggest conditions like thyroid issues PCOS PMS kind of covered and then we'll dive into some more complex things as we go along so again if you've got any questions please send them into the podcast and I'll see you back here next week for another episode where I'm joined by my friend Rebecca Ellison and we're talking all about pregnancy postpartum health and fertility Thank you for listening to another episode of the hormones in harmony podcast if you like this episode please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances as a massive thank you gift i'll send you a free guide six steps to hormonal harmony all you need to do is screenshot your rating and review then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and i'll send you the link to download this free guide if you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next step to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.